0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. 22nd day of March, 2023. Want to start the show off by... Wishing a happy birthday to my youngest, my youngest daughter, Hannah, 29 years old today. I almost have 230 30-year-old children. What in the hell has happened to me? I've gotten so old. Uh, but, uh, Hannah, happy birthday. Uh, I know you're probably at work and not listening, but I uh, wanted to make sure that, uh, that she knew I was thinking of her first thing here on a uh, on a Wednesday morning on her 29th birthday. Um, so yesterday... I went on a little bit of a rant about the problem with, uh, uh, or my, my fatigue with gambling commercials and the constant, uh, badgering that we're getting saying, Oh, gambling is great. Everybody's a winner, you know, and uh, this spurred by the article in the Boston globe, the column by Dan Shaughnessy. Well, this morning, um, I'm going through the uh, my news feed to figure out what it is we're going to talk about on the show this morning. And lo and behold, what do I find in the state where I live, in North Carolina? The headline, sports wagering getting second chance in North Carolina House. And as I dug into the story a little more, it looks like not only is it getting a second chance, it looks like it is going to pass. Um, a House committee uh, voted 17-10 for the measure. Um, which is now going to go to the House of Representatives. If it passes, uh, starting in January of 2024, we will have gambling, uh, sports gambling here in the state of North Carolina. We've already got a couple of uh, casinos operated by Native American tribes here in the state. Well, this would add a chance for them to add sports books to it. It would allow residents of the state of North Carolina – or people who are visiting North Carolina to make wagers from their phone with FanDuel's, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, you know, uh, so I may be fatigued, but the push that these companies are doing to get this stuff legalized continues uh, to have an effect. And it looks, the governor of North Carolina, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper is behind this. He he thinks it's a great idea. Uh, you know, look, they're going to have to pay taxes on on it. I get that. Um, anybody who has a sports wagering license would be subject to a 14% tax on waging revenues. Uh, the budget that was recently... Uh, proposed last week for the state, projected a revenues of about $60 million on taxes in sports wagering for the 2024-25 fiscal year in the state of North Carolina. They would use that money um, for uh, local and regional athletics uh, initiatives, including um, 300000 each to several athletic programs at smaller university in North Carolina school system. So not, not UNC Chapel Hill, but some of the smaller ones, like maybe a UNC Asheville, you know, some of the smaller university of North Carolina campuses would get some money um, from that. You know, it all sounds great until we start hearing stories, you know, about people, you know, losing all their money. And I live in Western North Carolina, and part of Western, parts of Western North Carolina, especially the Asheville area, there is a lot of wealth. Where I am, in Clay County in North Carolina, it is a very rural area, and there are a lot of people here that don't have a lot of money, and you know that might see this as a way to, hey, uh, you know, I can, I, I know a lot about sports. I can supplement my income, which is a sucker's bet. So I don't want to go on and on. We went on about it yesterday for a long time, but it looks like uh, it's coming to the state where I live. They have it in Connecticut. I, I escaped Connecticut. I've come down to North Carolina, and it looks like it is going to follow me here. Uh, some sad news from the sports world. Um, Willis Reed passed away yesterday. Willis Reed, uh, longtime center for the New York Knicks. Uh, he was one of um I was a Boston Celtics fan from the time I was a kid, but I always kind of liked the Knicks, too, because I like you know some of the players and some of the personalities they had on the Knicks. Uh, and the Knicks were on TV a lot, where I lived in Connecticut. And some of my earliest memories of basketball involved Willis Reed, and one of them was in the playoffs. Uh, and this is what he's... He'll be forever known for this. Game 7 of the 1970 NBA Finals, they didn't think he was going to play. He got hurt in Game 5 against the Los Angeles Lakers. A Los Angeles Lakers team, by the way, that had uh, uh, Will Chamberlain on it. So he did not play in Game 6. And Will Chamberlain in Game 6 had 45 points and 27 rebounds in the game, without Willis playing. And they crushed the Knicks and forced to game seven, which was back at Madison Square Garden. They did not expect him to play. And as the teams are warming up before the game, Willis Reed comes out of the tunnel. Everybody in the place goes bananas. And uh, goes into the layup line. Does his thing, warms up hits two quick jump shots at the start of the game. People are going nuts. He's running up and down the court and you could tell he's limping like hell. Matter of fact, he didn't score again the rest of the game, but just the fact that he was out there made a big difference for that team. He didn't need to score. They needed him to play defense. They had uh you know, they had plenty of help. They had Walt Frazier. Clyde had 36 points and 19 assists in that game. They ended up beating the Lakers 113 and 99, and they won their first NBA championship. And this was towards the end of his career, by the way. I mean he his knee injuries. His career only lasted, I think, nine or ten years. And he was an undersized center. He was only six nine. But uh, they called him the captain for a reason. He was the uh, uh, the leader of that team. And you later find out Phil Jackson, who was a teammate of Willis-Reeds, and later, of course, the Lakers coach, um, as well as, of course, uh, coaching the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan. People wanted to poo-poo how serious his injury was. And he said, hey, look. Willis Reed needed three or four shots. He called them horse shots in his thigh to just be able to come back out and play in that game. I mean, it was, you know, so he just was like, hey, shoot me up. I got to get out there. And it made a difference. They won a the game. Um, after that, he only played a handful of games the following season, I think 11 games. Um, and then uh, – in the 72 73 season, he came back strong. And Earl of Pearl Monroe and Jerry Lucas, um, they had a great team. But then again, it, the injuries cropped up 73 74. He played only 19 games and uh, ended up retiring after just 10 seasons in the league. Uh, but uh, Willis Reed, uh, a great emotional leader for the New York Knicks, passes away uh, at the age of 80 yesterday uh in our police blotter segment of <laughs> of the show um you probably saw this already a couple of days ago uh Nick Saban the head coach at the uh, football coach at the University of Alabama announced that uh freshman defensive back Tony Mitchell has been suspended from the team and uh after an incident with the police where he was in a car that was found to contain marijuana, $7,000 in cash, a set of scales, and a loaded 9-millimeter handgun. Uh, and uh, charged with uh, possession with intent to sell. Uh, you know, And Saban said, hey, look, everybody's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. There's no such thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Which, by the way, is a direct shot at the Alabama basketball coach who said a similar thing about uh, his player who was uh, was uh, accused of giving the gun to one of his former teammates to go out and fatally uh, shoot somebody. Uh, you know, Saban said, you know, you've got to be responsible for who you're with, who you're around, and what you do. Who you associate yourself with, and the situations that you put yourself in, it is what it is. But there is a cause and effect when you make choices and decisions that put you in bad situations. So Mitchell has been suspended. Uh, kid is an he's an Alabama kid too, by the way. Uh, kid that was a, a five star prospect. He was supposedly the thirty fourth best player in the country. He was uh, the number three safety. Um, in, in some of the rankings of high school recruits, but he's now suspended. Well, come to find out that he was driving and was going 141 miles an hour in his Dodge Challenger to try to evade deputies before he was arrested in the Florida Panhandle. So this isn't just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, even though Nick Saban says that's not acceptable, and he's right. He drove 141 miles an hour trying to get away from the cops. Uh, So add that to the drug charges. This kid uh, not only is going to be suspended, he's going to be lucky if he doesn't go to jail. Eventually, the challenger that he drove, he pulled into a residential area and stopped. And uh, that's when they found the uh, the drugs, the cash, the scales, the handgun, a loaded handgun. I mean, God almighty. So, that's where the University of Alabama, but good for Nick Saban. You know, you've got to come down hard on this stuff. You can't, you know, uh, the fact... That, the you know, Alabama has allowed their basketball player to continue to play despite what he was involved in, and there was never a suspension involved, even though he was the one that gave the gun to his former teammate. His former teammate said, hey, I need a gun, and he went and gave him his gun so that he could go out and shoot somebody. The fact that he's still playing is is Unbelievable. Not only playing, but playing well and uh, helping Alabama to get into the Sweet 16 in the NCAA tournament. So good for Nick Saban for doing that. Although I am now going to bet that the basketball coach and the football coach at the University of Alabama will not be exchanging Christmas cards. So, uh, All right, let's get to uh, the sports news from yesterday. The World Baseball Classic last night. United States and Japan. It was almost anticlimactic until it wasn't, right? I mean, you know, we're we're into the seventh inning. It's a three-to-one game. Japan is in control. The U.S. just is flailing. With the exception of a solo home run they got from Trey Turner in the second inning. Trey Turner, by the way, who had an incredible tournament for the United States. Um, with the exception of the home run that he hit, the U.S. bats – did nothing, flailing, even when they got guys on base or got somebody in a scoring position. I think they were 0 for 0 for 8 or 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position last night. They just could do nothing. So it's 3-1. to one. It's like, meh, ho-hum. But then Kyle Schwarber makes things interesting, doesn't he? Hugh Darvish comes on in relief for Team Japan. In the eighth inning. And Schwarber puts on an unbelievable at bat. I want to say it was 11 or 12 pitches. And he fouled off a whole bunch of pitches. And he was crushing the ball, but he kept pulling everything foul. And then finally, Darvish threw a splitter that didn't split, didn't dip. And Schwarber lost it into the second deck in Miami. Now it's a 3-2 to two game. We go to the ninth inning. USA's got a chance. So then in the top of the ninth inning, Mookie Betts gets on base to start off the inning. Or not, excuse me, it wasn't Mookie Betts. It was uh, Trey Turner gets on to start the inning. Here we go, right? Because now you've got Mookie Betts and Mike Trout coming up next. You're thinking USA is going to tie this thing or maybe go ahead. What happens? Well, well, the first thing that happened, by the way, is they've got Shoei Otani, to come in and pitch the ninth inning for Japan. So after walking Trey Turner, he faces Mookie Betts, and Mookie Betts squares one up, hits it hard. The only problem was he hit it right at the second baseman. Easy double play, and now we've got two outs in the ninth inning. We are one out away. And this is where we finally get some real drama. This, This is what you want. Perhaps the two best baseball players in the world. Shohei Otani taking on Mike Trout, his Los Angeles Angels teammate, in the World Baseball Classic. USA down one. Trout needs to uh, to hit one out against his teammate. And they've talked about this for a long time, uh, the two of them, as teammates, you know, hoping that, you know, wondering, Trout always wondered what it would be like to face him. And so here we go. Everybody's ready. Well, Otani strikes out. Trout on a slider, on a three-two pitch, and the World Baseball Classic is over. And Team Japan has their championship. They joined the Dominican Republic as the only unbeaten champions uh, of the WBC. They ran through this thing seven and zero. They outscored their opponents fifty-six to eighteen. It is their third WBC title. They won the first uh, two. In 2006 and 2009. Nobody else has won it more than once. Otani, as you might expect, was named the MVP of the tournament. I mean, look, he hit 435, right? A homer, four doubles, eight runs batted in. And he walked ten times, by the way. And then on the mound, he went 2-0 and with a save. A one eight six ERA. Struck out 11 guys in nine and two-thirds innings. And, you know, look. Here's the thing. The USA pitching staff, they did not have the big guns. USA pitchers gave up more hits in this tournament than anybody else. They had great, great hitters. I mean, look, when you're throwing out a lineup where a guy like Tim Anderson is hitting eighth, for God's sake, you know, but the top of your lineup is Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Mike Trout, Paul Goldschmidt, and uh, Pete Alonso, are you kidding me? I mean, my God, you can't ask for anything more than that. And you've, you know, you you you've got uh, JT Romuto, best catcher in baseball, from the Phillies, hitting sixth. You know, and Anderson, one of the best young shortstops in the game. Look, I mean, and and, and he's so good. Not only that, not only is he one of the best shortstops. They had to have him play second base because Trey Turner's on the team. This team was loaded. But they didn't have the pitching. And the uh, the Japanese team did. And look, you know, uh, one of those things after the game, Mark DeRosa was like, hey, you know, this was great. You know, I mean, the only thing he wanted, it was, obviously it would have been nice if his team had won. But he said, look, at the end of the day, We need to get our pitchers, or and it's not even getting the pitchers; it's getting the major league teams to buy into this and be willing to allow their pitchers in spring training to come pitch for Team USA. Now, obviously, if some if a guy is is coming off an injury or something, it's different. But you know, uh, when you've got guys like Max Scherzer and uh, Justin Verlander and Clayton Kershaw. And, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many great American pitchers. The team, they don't want them there. Right? They don't want them there. Until the United States gets their their best pitchers in this thing. And this is to take nothing away from guys like Lance Lynn and Merrill Kelly. You know, uh, they had great relievers. God, they had Edwin Diaz. Devin Williams from the Pittsburgh Pirates, one of the best relievers in the game. They had, you know, some good relief pitchers. And Lance Lynn and Merrill Kelly are fine. You know, it's not like they stink. But there are, you know, the top names weren't there. Chris Sale wasn't there. You know, I mean, uh, there's, you know, you you could come up with 10 other guys that would have been better to have there than some of the guys they had there. But until we get the major league teams to buy into this, it's going to be difficult for the U.S. to win because the Japanese go all in on this, folks. You know, I mean, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, before the game, um, Shoei Otani gave a, uh, a pep talk in the Japanese locker room. And you know what he said? He said, we've got to stop admiring them, meaning Team USA. He said, if you admire them, you can't surpass them. We came here to surpass them, to reach the top. For one day, let's throw away our admiration for them and just think about winning. Translation, we know how good American baseball is. We know American baseball is the gold standard. And we know that if, you know, that we're good. But if Team USA has all their players out there, we're in trouble. And look at that lineup that they have. It's hard not to admire when you look from one to nine and all those guys. That, and by the way, Nolan Arenado, the Gold Glove third baseman from the Cardinals, add him to the mix. When you look at that lineup, it's very easy to understand why the Japanese would be in awe of Team USA. But what Team USA didn't have was the pitchers that the Japanese had. They brought their best. And Team USA did not. Uh, one thing um, afterwards, um, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of Major League Baseball, said that uh, the WBC will be back 2026. And it is going to remain in uh, its current Timeline in spring training, uh, and he said, "Look, um, you know, he know he understands that people have talked about moving it to the middle of the season." Uh, he said, "You know, there's people that have talked about doing it after the playoffs." He said, "But you can't do it then because so many people are hurt and wiped. You know, they don't have anything left in the tank after a 162 game season." Um, but he he said he, th- he I think on balance, although it's not perfect, that uh, spring training is the right place for it. Uh, and even he and he acknowledged as well. Hey, look we have to convince our teams to let their pitchers pitch. You know, and he said, look, you know, we take out insurance on players that are participating with, you know, on their national teams. He says, because you can't play this event without insuring them. He said, because otherwise the teams aren't going to be willing to take the risk. You know, if you say to him, oh, you know what? We want you to take the risk and you got to pay for it. He said, I don't think that's fair. Which is why, for instance, the New York Mets, despite the fact that Edwin Diaz has gone for the season, has insurance, and they're going to recoup uh, a good portion of Diaz's salary. So it's coming back in 2027, which is great, as I said. I I absolutely love the fact that we had meaningful baseball in March. And, yeah, I mean, most of the game last night was, uh, you know, ho-hum until we got to the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. And what a – you could not – and the only better ending that we could have had last night is if Mookie doesn't ground into that double play, Trey Turner's on base, and Trout hits a home run off of Otani, and the USA wins 4-3. to three. But other than that, I mean, look, you know, Otani and Trout facing each other for the final out of the championship, you cannot ask for better theater than that. 30 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Wednesday morning, March the 22nd. Um, <laughs> for those of you that have been following the uh, the adventures uh, I've had uh, building uh, what my wife has christened as Cluckingham Palace, uh, our new chicken coop. I have it uh, 99% finished, a little bit of finish work today. But we're going to be moving the hens into the new coop today. That should be fun. Uh, what a project. It's been a couple of weeks uh i've had an opportunity to do some stuff uh, some construction work i've never done before and it's come out really really good i'm very very happy with it uh and uh look uh my hens are really happy as as it is uh you know they're, they're laying like crazy which is great uh i don't know how much happier they can get but i know i'll feel better they have a much bigger coop and uh uh and now we can expand our flock as well but uh i'll have some pictures up uh um on, um, on my Facebook page. For those of you that are interested, we'll have it on, uh, on my personal page, but also I'll put some up on the uh, Sports Country Radio Facebook page if you're interested in taking a look at uh, what we've done. Uh, all right, more baseball news. Um, Major League Baseball has announced that they are going to make some tweaks to the new rules. We're just, what, we're uh, eight days away from opening day on March the 30th. Um, and... Uh, Players have had to adjust, especially the pitchers, to the new pitch clock uh, where it's 15 seconds between batters, 20 seconds if there's a runner on base. And there have been some uh, talks with some of the different teams, with the Players Association, et cetera, uh, that the pitchers are asking for a little bit more leeway. They're not asking to scrap the the pitch clock. Nobody seems to be against that, which is great because they've shaved a half an hour off of games. The spring training games last year averaged three hours and six minutes. We're at about 235. That's a half an hour. And if that translates into the regular season, that's a half an hour shorter. That's We're getting back to the, the good old days when games could get over in two and a half hours. You know, because when you think about it, if, if the average was, you know, what, like last year, like 310, 315, that means we had games going 3 345. You know, it's just crazy. I mean, we had Red Sox-Yankee games that take over four hours. And I remember the days when I worked at Fenway Park, working some of those Red Sox-Yankee games. We had one nine-inning game, I remember, working at Fenway. The start time was seven ten. The game went damn near five hours. It was a nine-inning game, went four hours and something. I got out of there at midnight. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. Actually, the game ended at midnight. By the time I got out of there, it was close to 1 o'clock in the morning. By the time I got home, it was 3. Um, so, you know, but they're not looking to scrap. it. The pitchers are asking, like, hey, look, there was an incident yesterday, for instance, Luis Severino in a Yankee game yesterday. Began his windup with what he said was one or two seconds left on the clock, and the umpire called him for a violation because he didn't throw the pitch soon enough. So there's going to be some, you know, uh, some talk about that. Like, hey, you know, if the pitcher's making a good faith effort, if he started his 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 pitch, you know, what are we doing? You know, why are we calling a violation there? Um, the other part of it is if a pitcher has to run over and, you know, a ground ball and the pitcher's got to run over and cover first base, right? Then he's got to get all the way back over to the pitcher's mound. If they start that clock right away, he's barely got time to get back on the mound and throw a pitch. So there's some talk about maybe, you know, giving him an extra 10, 15 seconds to get back to his position so that he can be ready to go, which seems fair to me. You know, another one is, hey, uh, let's say I make a great defensive play in the outfield or whatever, um, and I've got to be the first batter up at the start of the next inning, give the batter a few extra seconds to get ready, to get himself composed, to get back in the box. Is especially going to be important for catchers. You know, we've got a situation, you know, you got to remember, if the catcher's the first or last guy up, or is going to come up in an inning, it takes them time to take all that gear off or put that gear back on. So there's got to be uh, perhaps a little bit of leeway that way. So that's something that's going to be talked about. Uh, Major League Baseball is going to uh, announce that today. But they're not going to change the shift. I think that seems to be working great. I think it's having the desired effect. I think we're going to see uh, guys getting hits that used to be hits in the past that haven't been for the last several years. So they're going to leave that alone. Um, but I think that, uh, we're going to see perhaps, you know, maybe, I don't know if it will be five seconds, but maybe they'll go to, you know, 20 seconds with no runners on and 25 with runners on base, something like that. But, um, they're going to announce those uh, changes today, but I think, and it's good. And, and one of the things I like from Rob Manfred, and he is not my favorite commissioner, as you know, anybody that listens to the show knows, um, you know, he says, our feet are not set in stone on this. You know, he said, we're, we're prepared to make adjustments based on input. But he said, on the other hand, we want to give it a chance to see how exactly that plays out before we make any really significant changes. Well, after a few weeks of spring training, I think they've found that that some of the concerns that the pitchers are having might be legit. Might be legit. So, uh, we'll find out more about that today. Uh, as far as uh, spring training yesterday, the Red Sox got beat by the Orioles 6-2. to Um. The concerning thing, I don't even know if it's concerning. If you if you want to find something to be concerned about, Chris Sale started yesterday for the Red Sox and got, got whacked around. Uh, he worked five innings yesterday, gave up nine hits, six runs, all of them earned. Um, two of the hits he gave up were home runs. He gave up two homers in the first inning. Adley Rutschman uh, took a high fastball and uh, hit it over the left center field wall. And then Ryan Mountcastle, a couple of batters later, uh, hit one to dead center field on a 3-1 fastball. Uh, So if you want to look at it from that point, you go, "Uh uh-oh. But, you know, Alex Cora and Sale don't seem to be concerned. They said that he feels strong. Uh, He felt like he could have gone out and pitched the sixth inning. Cora said that his changeup was looking good. The one pitch that he doesn't have right now, his slider doesn't seem to be responding, so he needs to work on that. But, you know, Sale said, hey, look, I don't necessarily want to go out there and breeze through spring training, which sounds like a dumb thing to say, right? But uh, he he said, if we're going to have – if I'm going to have outings like this, I want to have them now. I want to make the adjustments now, not when the season starts. So, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have this happen. He said – and at the same time, my velocity was there. He was throwing in the mid-90s, you know. He said, and it gives me a chance now to work on the slider. He says, you know, he said, "Uh, uh, if I don't have the slider – they know I'm more likely to be throwing my fastball, and, you know, they can sit on it. So, uh, but he said, for the most part, he said, I feel like everything's sound. It felt clean. It felt efficient. He said the results just weren't there. So, and which is a great thing to say a week before the season starts because you don't want to have to be saying that in May, right? Um, So that's where they're at uh, as far as that game. Yesterday, Connor Wong, um, who has been out for uh, most of camp, Uh, with a uh, hamstring strain, might actually be ready to go for the start of the regular season. He's been playing in some minor league games. He's only played uh, in, I think, uh, a few Grapefruit League games. Um, But now the Red Sox are going to have a decision to make. If he indeed is ready for the start of spring training, Reese McGuire is going to be on this team. He's a switch hitting catcher, uh, showed a lot of promise last year. So we know his spot is secure. Now it comes down to a case of whether it's Connor Wong, or whether it's going to be Jorge Alfaro, who the Red Sox signed uh, as a non-roster invitee. And Alfaro, who can hit the hell out of the ball, was the uh, uh, MVP of the Dominican Winter League, played in WBC, hit the ball well there. Uh, He has a great bat. A little bit suspect defensively, but the Red Sox are going to have a decision to make. And by the way, remember how we talked about the WBC and, and silly injuries, how things happen, you know, and it can happen anywhere? Tristan Cassis, uh was not able to play in the game yesterday. Why? He hurt his finger, his pinky finger, in the weight room, jamming it while catching a medicine ball, right? Uh, he's probably not going to play today either. And so, again... You know, is he out for weeks? No, but it's just another example of how it you don't have to be playing a game, uh, a spring training game to get hurt. You can get hurt catching a medicine ball, right? Uh, you know, uh, stuff like that. You know, so, it's it, again, we can't overreact about these things. Uh, the Red Sox did announce the MRI results uh, on Joeli Rodriguez on that oblique strain. Uh, it looks like he's going to be out as much as two months. I talked about it yesterday. I, I, I've had an oblique strain I've been dealing with for a couple of years because every time I get close to getting it better, I do something stupid to hurt it again. Um, so, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm I'm as far from a pro athlete these days as you're going to find. So he's probably going to miss a couple of months, which will leave Richard Blyer, uh, who pitched for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic as the lone left-hander in the Red Sox bullpen, so uh, we'll have to see how that plays out. Kenley Jansen pitched in a minor league game yesterday, looked great, Uh, faced four batters, retired all four, struck out two of them. Uh, It's going to be nice, and I, I say this now without having thrown a pitch in the regular season, it is going to be nice for the Red Sox to have A closer again, an established closer. And I know Kenley Jansen is not the closer that he was with the Dodgers four or five years ago, but he's still one of the top five or six in Major League Baseball, and I am really, really happy. uh, The Red Sox, if they, you know, look, how many games did the Red Sox last year, you know, get get laid into a game and the bullpen absolutely implode, right? I mean, just time after time after time. And with all the moves that the Red Sox made improving that bullpen, I have some – that's another one of the reasons why I have some hope for this team this year is that bullpen is hopefully going to be able to hold on uh, to some leads. Please. That's the only thing I can hope for. Uh, Speaking of uh, starters who have struggled in spring training, Justin Verlander uh, got roughed up in his last start and uh, uh, four and two-thirds innings, you know, uh, walked six guys, right, right? gives up a couple of runs, strikes out three, walks six. You know, and he said the same thing as Chris Sale, you know, and uh, he said, look, he said, I don't want to breeze through everything. You know, I, this is this is the time to make adjustments. He said, you know, I've got some work to do. It was a tough one, you know. And uh, so if you're the Mets, you know, and that pitching staff – you know, you and no Edwin Diaz at the back end. You know they're going to count on Verlander and Max Scherzer to carry a little bit more of that load. And uh, we talked about the Mets all the time with that huge payroll they have. How about this one? So the Mets have a new uh, club that they have opened at Citi Field. It's a uh, it's going to be what they're they're calling it a speakeasy. It's essentially a bar. Behind the right field fence at City Field. It's going to be called the Cadillac Club. Cadillac is the uh, presenting sponsor uh, and is going to be the, Padilla- the Cadillac Club at Payson's, which is uh, in honor of the founding owner of the Mets, uh, Joan Whitney Payson. If you want to go to this, folks, memberships in the first row cost you $24,999. Right? Uh if you want to be in rows 3 or 4, it's $19,000 a seat. And if you and you can and if you're a member, you can buy guest passes with the cost and availability depending on the date and it's going to be limited to 25 or 30 members. So, you know, figure an average of 20 grand. <laughs> you know, For I mean, look, so so twenty grand times thirty people, you know, what's that six hundred thousand dollars? It's not going to pay a salary, but uh, the Mets are trying to find ways to capitalize as much as they can, Um, and with a three hundred and seventy million dollar payroll, surpassing the previous record of two hundred and ninety seven by the two thousand fifteen Dodgers. Their luxury tax payroll, or the luxury tax uh, penalty is going to be $116 million. Think about that. Their luxury tax that they will have to pay at the end of the season that will be split up uh, with the lower uh, revenue teams around Major League Baseball is $116 million. That is more than about a third of the Major League Baseball team's entire payroll for the season. We have teams that have payrolls of 50 and $60 million a year. The Mets are paying $370 million and then another $116 million on top of that as a luxury tax penalty. Holy crap. And on the other side, by the way, of this, uh, uh, this Cadillac club, the Tampa Bay Rays have announced they have this. And if I live close to the Rays, and by the way, what an awful stadium it is. But if I live close, right? They have this thing. They're calling it, uh, uh, actually, I don't don't know exactly what they're calling it, but they have this new season ticket package. For $249, you get a ticket for all 81 home games. For $249, 81 games. The caveat, standing room only. So it's essentially what, about $350 a ticket, and you could have a standing room only seat. And they're going. They say they're going to enforce keeping standing room only ticket holders from moving into the seating areas because God knows there's plenty of open seats in Tampa. Even when they win, nobody comes. But the idea behind this, and it's hey, look, it's genius from a marketing standpoint. When they only have you know eight, nine, ten thousand butts in the seats, but you know maybe you've got you know maybe you got five hundred standing room people that want to take advantage of this deal I would that you'd come to the ballpark buy a couple of beers a couple of hot dogs or whatever well now that 350 that you've spent on the ticket you know add in you know two beers that are probably 12 14 bucks a piece and a couple of hot dogs or nachos or whatever it is you eat and you've now dropped 40 50 bucks there. That's 40 or 50 bucks they wouldn't have had if they didn't sell these standing. It's it's genius. And for people that live close, 250 bucks, 249 bucks for 81 games. I would jump all over that if I lived there. 49 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on Sports Country. It is 51 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. We've got a few minutes left here on a Wednesday morning. Uh, the Celtics win last night. Jason Tatum with 36. Jalen Brown with 27. Derek White with 20. And uh, they uh, absolutely rolled the Sacramento Kings last night. The final in that one was 132 to 109. So the Celtics now ahead of the Philadelphia 76ers uh, in the conference. They are now two games behind the Milwaukee Bucks for the best record in the Eastern Conference. Um, Sacramento is uh, in a race for second place in the Western Conference, and they are now a game and a half uh, behind the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, And uh, speaking of the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant has been uh, reinstated to the Grizzlies. Of course, uh, he was out after uh, his idiotic uh, Instagram post showing him waving a gun uh, in a nightclub. You know, I mean, just while he was in Denver, just a dumb thing. And uh, he met with the media yesterday, apologized again. He said, look, uh, so he said, my job is now, uh, like I said, to be more responsible, more smarter, more smarter. And uh, and not to cause any more problems like that. And whether or not he comes back uh, tonight against Houston is uh, remains to be seen. Uh, Memphis coach Taylor Jenkins says he'd like to get him back in, but it's just a matter of uh, uh, whether he's ready to go. Moran hasn't really played. Uh, he said he just has to get uh, back in condition. So he may play tonight, whether or not uh, it's going to be an extensive amount of time. Uh, we'll see. But he was been out, of course, for the uh, last eight games, that suspension handed down by the NBA, and a very, very smart one. Uh, other games around the NBA last night, the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets lose. Uh, they are now a half a game ahead of Miami for that uh, last spot in the Eastern Conference to keep them out of the Wild Card round or the uh, the Play-in round. Uh, they lose one fifteen to one oh nine to the Cavaliers. Cleveland now, by the way, in fourth place in the Eastern Conference, and uh, the Magic beat the Wizards last night one twenty two to one twelve. Two teams that uh, are going absolutely nowhere. Uh, in the NHL last night, the Bruins win again. They beat the Ottawa Senators 2-1. to one. Ottawa had the distinction, by the way, of being one of the only teams, I think it was the E-only team in the NHL that had a winning record against the Bruins this year. Uh, but the Bruins turned it around last night. They beat the Senators 2-1. to one. Again, stellar goaltending by that Bruins pair of uh, Linus Olmark and Jeremy Swayman. Olmark last night uh, makes 40 saves. The Bruins win it 2-1. Jake DeBrusk with the go-ahead goal uh, and uh, David Krejci with a power play goal. The Bruins have now won four straight. Uh, they increased their point total to 113. 54 wins now with 12 games to play. They are eight wins short of tying the NHL record for most wins in a season. They are 54-11 and 5 those 113 points puts them 13 points clear of Carolina for the uh, most points in the Eastern Conference so uh, the Bruins will definitely have a uh, uh, home ice advantage the Bruins have lost just 3 games in regulation at TD Garden all season long Alex Ovechkin broke a record held by uh, Wayne Gretzky last night uh, Ovechkin with a goal in the first period of the game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. It was his 40th goal of the season, giving him 13 40-goal seasons for his career. That breaks the record held by Gretzky of 12. He also has 820 now for his career. He is 74 short of Wayne Gretzky's all-time record of 894. Uh, Ovechkin, you know, to be fair, Ovechkin's going to play a few more games in Gretzky, uh, because it looks like Ovechkin has no intention of retiring. He is in his age thirty seven season and uh, plans on playing for a while yet. Uh, despite that, last night it didn't help the Capitals. The Capitals blew a three goal lead last night, end up losing to the Columbus Blue Jackets in overtime, seven to six. Not a, not a lot of defense going on in that one. Uh, and uh, one other quick note, we're, we're kind of on a hiatus from the NCAA tournament. It resumes tomorrow night. But Tobin Anderson, who was the head coach of Fairleigh Dickinson, who pulled off that big upset over Purdue in round one of the tournament. After just one year at FDU, Tobin Anderson is leaving. Uh, he is going to Iona. He will replace Rick Patino, who just took the job um, at St. John's. So Anderson, who led FDU to a 21-16 and record This past season and one of the biggest upsets in NCAA history, Uh, we'll move on to Iona. Uh, Of course, Anderson, a 1995 grad of Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. That's going to do it for us here this morning. Uh, Once again, happy birthday to my daughter, Hannah. It is her 29th birthday today. It's also, uh, switching those numbers around, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, 92 years old today. Gonna leave you this morning music from Hank Junior. This was one of Hannah's favorite songs when she was a kid. It's called If It Will It Will. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the wake up call on Sports Country.